Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by our magazine, Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, and in today's episode, I'll be joined by the magazine's editor, Jason Booth, to go through the March edition. And later, we'll hear from Peter Halesworth of Hung Ren Partners. Activist Insight March 2021 explores the risk factors facing activists this year. Engine number one's campaign at Exxon and why Cisco could be the next technology giant to face activist demands. Subscribers can get their copy now on our website and you can also request a free trial if you're not yet a subscriber. So let's get into it with Jason. The feature this month is about what activists will be looking out for as we go into the proxy season. So what are some of the key trends that readers will find in the feature? Well, first off, we've noticed that activists have been loading up on consumer stocks. These are companies such as consumer cyclicals and consumer defensive stocks that were more ignored a year ago as we went into the pandemic. At that time, you saw financials and technology stocks being popular. But in the fourth quarter of last year, for example, more consumer stocks were bought by activists than any other sector, which we thought was sort of interesting. And seems to be the interest there is the fact that they are, many of them, undervalued given what's happened with the pandemic, plus all the stimulus money that's gone into consumers' pockets, and most of it hasn't been spent. So simply from an investment point of view, the thought is that there will be strong buying support for some of these companies. And naturally, as activists, they'll be looking for the companies that have underperformed their peers and uh, may need some pushing from outside shareholders to turn themselves around. The other things, obviously, we've noticed ESG will remain a big deal this year, maybe bigger than it ever has been before. There seems to be an acceptance this year that environmental and social and governance issues are actually key factors in valuations of companies and can really make a difference in performance and their profitability. Case in point, we've seen Engine Number 1, which is a relatively new activist, go after Exxon. Mergers and acquisitions are up and seem to be the preferred exit for a lot of activists making investments. And interest rates are very low. And there's a lot of private equity floating around. So it's very easy to get deals done these days to the point where not only are we seeing activists pushing for sales of companies, but we're also seeing them opposing them, arguing that they should be seeing higher prices when deals are done. And in some cases that uh, deals shouldn't be done because the companies are strong enough to stand alone. Retail investors are getting noticed, obviously, with the recent surge in GameStop, for example, and driven by investors reading Reddit and other social media. That sort of thing is is a flash in the pan, so to speak, but it's really shown people that certain companies are much more sensitive to the demands of retail investors. So when it comes to proxy fights, for example, we expect to see more appeal to individual investors than we've seen in prior years, rather than just focusing on institutions. But after all that, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Obviously, we've come through a pandemic. And while people are a lot more optimistic than they were a year ago, there's still a sense that things could go wrong. So we are getting quite a sense of caution from a lot of people. And you mentioned Engine Number One's campaign against Exxon. Can you just tell us more about that? Well, it's a very small fund targeting a very large company. In fact, if it goes forward, which it looks like it will, it will be the biggest proxy fight in history based on market capitalization. 
Exxon is a natural target for an ESG investment campaign such as this, given that in 2018, it was actually boosting its investments in oil extraction and production, while many of the other large energy companies were pulling back. And they also ignored multiple efforts by some of the large institutional investors to be more transparent about their ESG profile on their carbon footprint, for example, and their scope three emissions. Now, scope three emissions are emissions that are done not by your own company, but by your suppliers and the users of your product, which is something that people want to know more about these days, but Exxon wasn't being very forthcoming with this information. And going back to a point made earlier, Exxon has a lot of retail ownership. I believe around only 52% are institutional funds. Uh, the rest are retail. You know, retail ownership tend to be quite sensitive when it comes to things such as environmental issues. So you're seeing Exxon in this campaign run a lot of social media ads and other efforts in order to reach out to individual investors which is rather interesting and a kind of a sign of the times. And you write this month that activists are cautious and hedging their bets. So what exactly are activists so nervous about? Well, first off, the market is extremely frothy. We continue to hit record highs and we're sort of at the end or close to the end, many people say, of a 10-year bull market. That's made it very difficult for a lot of activists simply because there aren't so many individual undervalued companies out there to target. You know, you get another major black swan event such as a pandemic. Uh, You could see extreme correction in the market that would hurt activists along with everybody else. Government intervention is an issue that people are concerned about. Uh, You've seen in Japan less support for sort of activism, and you've seen government agencies in certain cases, such as Toshiba, apparently being more uh, willing to support management versus activists. There's concerns about rising inflation, and which in turn could push up interest rates. And given that corporate debt levels are also at near record levels, there is concern that that could put a hole into what many people see as a stock market bubble. Now, in the longer term, that could be a benefit for activists because a correction in the market would open up more opportunities for them. They wouldn't have to go after the same companies, for example. We've seen a lot of multiple activists going after single companies simply because there aren't that many targets as there have been in prior years. But it's also made activists in general more cautious. Uh, We thought it was interesting listening to Bill Ackman of Pershing Square in a conference he had with investors in his own fund, disclosing that they still have a large exposure to credit default swaps in the U.S., Now, you may remember that credit default swaps were a hedging technique that they used last year to protect themselves against the downturn caused by COVID-19. And that was a huge success for them and resulted in multi-billion dollar profits in a very short amount of time. Their credit default swap positions are smaller at this point, but they are there because of this prevailing uncertainty about what could happen in the market over the next six months to a year. Now, as a new feature of the podcast, myself and Jason will look at Activist Insight Online's latest in-depth article. You can find all of our in-depth articles under the News tab on Activist Insight Online. And you never need to miss one again because you can simply set up an alert straight to your inbox 
whenever we publish an in-depth piece. In fact, you can do the same with all of our products. Just visit our website to set up your alerts. So Jason, the in-depth that we're going to touch on is about how the ongoing stock rally has reduced the vulnerability of loads of companies. Can you explain, though, why that is? Every week, we write about two different companies that are vulnerable to activist approaches. We choose these companies based on a formula that we call our Activist Insight Vulnerability Index, which takes into account several factors, one of which is total shareholder return. Now, companies that have a low shareholder return over one year or three years versus their peers tend to be far more vulnerable to activist demands than other companies. Now, we were looking back over the 108 companies that we profiled over the last 12 months. We noticed only 29 of them have seen an increase in their vulnerability during that time, with the rest of seeing a decline. Now, the reason for that is because the stock market has rallied in general, these companies, many of them have seen their share prices rise significantly, you know, whether because they have done something right or more often than not, simply because the market as a whole is rising. And there's a saying in the business that a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, case in point is Teradata, which has surged 100% since we profiled them in December, both to strong results, but also the market realization that the company was cheap you know, versus its peers in the fast-growing cloud computing sector. Teradata was in the 90th percentile of companies most likely to be targeted when we wrote about them, but is now in the 30th percentile, which by our standards would mean that they are a, a very low chance of being targeted. And it shows, you know, the challenge of being an activist in the current environment. Companies that in many ways are in need of a uh, Activist intervention, shareholder demands to improve their operations, their governance and other issues, you know, are are not good investment targets for them at this point because their share prices are, in many cases, quite overvalued, you know, because activists, they are looking for undervalued companies, which they can turn around and push to get better and see their share prices rise. In this environment, it's getting harder to do that. Now, the caveat is, of course, that uh, a lot of these companies are maybe overvalued. We may see them show up in our reporting on activist short investments and companies that may be good targets for investors who take short positions in companies in the expectation that they will fall when uh, the current frothy environment subsides. Joining me now is Peter Halesworth, the founder and manager of Hung Ren Partners, which is a Boston asset management firm investing in Chinese companies incorporated overseas. Activist Insight Online reported their demands at China Automotive Systems, Ikang Healthcare Group and Jumei International Holding in 2017. Then last year, we reported on their campaign at Sino Agro Foods. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Karen. Glad to be here. Firstly, can you just tell us a little bit about your activism and what you try to achieve? So we at Hung Ren are trying to end toxic corporate governance that destroys value. We particularly focus on Chinese companies. Their stocks are listed overseas, definitely in the U.S. is our primary target. And we invest where others don't, Kieran. Many U.S. investors just shun Chinese stocks because of the corporate governance risk. And as a result, there's a huge discount applied to these Chinese stocks 
because of this risk. And we find that many are fundamentally solid and strong companies with great futures, but they suffer from this corporate governance discount and mistrust. And what we do is try at Hongren is try to go in and detoxify the corporate governance so the stocks can reflect their true intrinsic value on a fundamental basis. So if you flip over what the likes of short sellers like Muddy Waters do, they're looking for overvalued Chinese stocks that have some fraudulent element and they want to short them to get the adjustment to the lower valuation. We do the opposite. We follow the scent to what we think are thriving and strong Chinese companies that have been babies thrown out with the bathwater due to the fact of this mistrust of their corporate governance. And we follow that scent, make sure that these companies are indeed strong, viable, and have the fundamental outlook we believe they do. But if we find a corporate governance issue, we again go in and become activists and try to improve and remove that risk. And is there an example you can give that really does illustrate Hong Ren's activist strategy? Yes, there certainly is a very recent example uh, where we don't capitulate and uh, we fight for fair value for U.S. minority investors. It was with China Automotive Systems, which is a NASDAQ-listed supplier of electric power steering systems based in China. China Automotive has an increasing share of its revenue coming from electric vehicle manufacturers. The management tried to take it private a few years ago. And uh, we cautioned them that the bid was far too low, and we warned them that we wouldn't take this lightly. Eventually, the privatization bid by the management was withdrawn. But however, in the process, we found a very flawed process in the privatization, and we filed a lawsuit alleging violations of U.S. securities laws. After two years, Hung Ren, another investor, and China Automotive System settled. One of the conditions of the settlement was that we would have more transparency and investor relations activity from China Automotive. In the past, it was done very poorly in our view, which suppressed the appetite and interest in the stock. Fast forward to November, there was one press release from China Automotive shortly after the settlement which stated that sales related to electric vehicles were going to increase significantly in 2021. On the back of that news, China Automotive stock quadrupled. So we made money from our activism. We protected minority shareholders' interests. And hopefully this will become a standard of conduct by China Automotive Systems to flourish in the U.S. markets rather than to suppress its own value. And of course, I imagine that activism at Chinese companies incorporated elsewhere brings about its own challenges. Sure, Kieran. The biggest challenge is that there's a pervasive and large regulatory arbitrage going on. These Chinese companies who are incorporated overseas come to the U.S. markets as foreign private issuers. This allows them somewhat of a diplomatic immunity from U.S. regulators. And as a result, if there are bad actors from China or from other countries, but in particular, most of the foreign listed 
companies in the U.S. are from China. This allows these to run roughshod over shareholder rights in the U.S., despite the fact that they've raised capital in the U.S. markets and appear to the average investor's eye to be just the same as any other U.S. stock or issuer. And this regulatory arbitrage has led to a lot of problems in terms of shareholders seeking their rights against these Chinese managers who are bad actors and to exercise their rights and to get the public regulators in the U.S. to protect them. But because of this diplomatic immunity, typically U.S. public regulators throw up their hands and say, sorry, there's not much we can do. This is a foreign private issuer. So as a result, we at Hung Ren, the biggest challenge is to seek the private sector solution to pursue and exercise shareholder rights, which leads us to the legal system either in the U.S. or in another offshore jurisdiction such as Cayman, but definitely not in China. And of course, your new book deals with the importance of good corporate governance. So why did you write it and what do you hope readers will take away? Well, Kieran, I think many shareholders and investors give short shrift and very little attention to what goes on in the boardroom, thinking that the big picture secular story and the momentum of a company uh, means a lot more than the people running it. And I think the tale of Sinovac featured in our book uh, really points to the fact that that's the wrong thing to do, that the boardroom really matters. A company's entire business and the shareholder value it could be generating could be totally wasted because of boardroom problem. So that's what we basically have presented in the book, Conquering COVID, Sinovac, an unlikely hero. Sinovac is uh, a listed company in the U.S. It's been listed in the U.S. since 2004. It has missed a huge bull run in the COVID-19 vaccine stocks, which in group have outperformed Tesla, which is grabbing all the headlines for a tremendous performance in the past year or so. Um, And this has become a missed opportunity for shareholders of Sinovac, like us and others, to have access to shareholder value, which could be in the billions of dollars. And the reason is The stock of Sinovac has been suspended from trading on the NASDAQ since February 2019. And this is because of a boardroom feud and battle between warring factions in the company, a poison pill, which has basically got the company stuck in court and the stock suspended. It is the longest ongoing suspension of a stock on NASDAQ currently. We've squandered billions of dollars in shareholder value as a result of this. Just to illustrate it, Sinovac was a long-neglected vaccine maker from China on the U.S. stock market. Not a single Wall Street analyst could be bothered to cover it. It was a dog. It was underperforming biotech indexes in the U.S. for years. And we always thought that this was a promising stock because Sinovac is a go-to vaccine maker for the Chinese government in a country that is very prone to viral outbreaks, and it is a gigantic market. But Wall Street just ignored it, and it was a Wall Street dog for decades. 
But that's when Hung Ren rolls up their sleeves and gets invested. We've been invested in Sinovac since our inception in 2013. Fast forward to 2020 when COVID hit, uh, the Chinese government tapped Sinovac to start to do the R&D to produce a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, this company, which has a market cap of just $460 million and has trailing 12-month sales of about $250 million, is now on the verge of seeing its revenue line increase into the billions. But this has not been reflected in the stock like it has been in the likes of Moderna, CanSino from China, or Novavax, because the stock has been suspended while there's been this epic bull run in the COVID-19 vaccine stocks, all because of what we see as weak and poor corporate governance that now has landed the company in court and the stock in the penalty box at NASDAQ. That's it for today's episode. If you like what you hear or want to read more, subscribe to Activist Insights Monthly by emailing subscriptions at insightia.com. Remember, our free definitive annual review is also out now for you to download. Just visit the reports page on our website. If you want something discussed on a future episode as well, simply email press at insightia.com. And join the conversation by using the hashtag ActivistInsightPodcast on Twitter. Finally, please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.